Welcome to the Wharton Customer Analyticast. This is Colleen O'Neill. I'm the Executive Director of the Wharton Customer Analytics Initiative, and I'm joined today by the CEO and co-founder of Data.World, Brett Hurt. Brett, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back here. I always love being back on the Wharton campus. Great. So being back implies that you've been here before. Tell us a little bit about from whence you come and how you arrived at Data.World. Sure. So uh, real shortly, um, I'm from Austin. Uh, I had an amazing benefit of uh, growing up with a mom who was very supportive of me and taught me how to program when I was seven, bought wow. my first computer then. I programmed over 40 hours a week from age seven to 21. That I kind of joke that that got me picked on a lot, but it's true. Um, <laughs> And, but it turned out to be a great career, and I really wanted to become an entrepreneur for, for a long time, and it was only at Warden where that dream came true for me. That was really where I came out of my shell. I started my first uh, four businesses here. Um, I was kind of one of those insane MBA students that was working pretty regularly till 2, 3 in the morning, um, both doing school and, and, and running my businesses. And... Um, Really, I owe a lot to Warden. This was the place where I met so many other aspiring entrepreneurs. I um, saw so many great entrepreneurs come to speak with us, and and they give me a great deal of confidence. Part of the reason I come back here on campus to speak myself and, and pay back. Um, I became friends with a lot of amazing professors here, many of which became investors and future businesses, mentors um, to me. And uh, every time I come back here, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulder of, of giants. There's a lot of people that helped me get to where I've, 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 uh, I've, I've become now a very successful entrepreneur. Um, but it all happened here at Warden. Awesome. So um, by way of your kind of work experience then, what, what you mentioned you're an entrepreneur. I happen to be familiar with the, your many successful ventures, but why don't you tell our audience a, a little bit about a couple of your previous ventures? Sure. So, so I, I'll, I'll leave out the first three because they're all small bootstrapped ventures. Um, but I will say that those first three, you know, starting with a consulting firm, were incredible ways to learn entrepreneurship and um, you really learn a lot when you're bootstrapping a business, um, but they, they weren't like, you know, huge change the world type, type ideas. So I was looking for that while I was here at Warden. And the fourth business that I started is a company called Core Metrics. It was a direct outgrowth of my third business, which was an e-commerce site called Body Matrix. And, and my e-commerce site, I needed my own analytics. I grew up in a family of retail entrepreneurs, and I was used to asking customers how they heard about us and seeing how they navigated the stores. I actually wrote my leadership paper here at Warden um, on Sam Walton. He oh, cool. was obsessive about like yeah. studying the Walmart stores and kind of one of the original analytics pioneers, if you will, in terms of in terms of how he studied the stores and really infuse that in managers and wrote that great book made in America to yep. tell his children, here's how you study stores and here's how your customer focused. And, um, in, in, uh, in my own e-commerce business, it just seemed intuitive that I would want to know everything customers were doing. And so I built in early versions of, um, what would later become core metrics. I understood how my, um, advertising was performing. I understood um, how to personalize offers to people because I was literally tracking every behavior and putting that in a database um, 
to use it for targeted offers. I could um, understand if I ran a sale exactly how effective that was. I could even understand if someone picked up a product and put it back on the virtual shelf and didn't buy it. So I mean, my pricing was off. Um, and that got the attention of Eric Clemens, Professor Eric Clemens, and a PhD student that he was mentoring for his thesis. Um, they said, gosh, you know, you could probably use that data to do personalization. And so we started to do more and more personalization, doubled my online sales. Mm-hmm. I ran that business with my wife. Um, I, I came here with her, and I've been married now 21 years. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and um, that became the basis for Core Metrics. I found myself just spending more and more time doing analytics than even caring about running the e-commerce business. Yeah. And um, and you were doing that back end stuff yourself at that point, or some I was. portion of it? No, no, no. I was doing it all. Okay. Because uh, I, I I grew up as a programmer, so I had that ability to to do it all. Um, that doesn't mean that I was the best person to do it all. I later, you know, hired people and everything else that sure. were much better than me. But but I had that ability, so so why not use it? And I didn't have you know really any money, so you know that was that was the best way to solve the problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and that, uh, that became a, a really big need for retailers, and I validated that with, uh, with students that went on to go work at Amazon and CD Now, and I fully expected them to kind of black me out of the room and say, like, let me show you our big nuclear-grade analytics right, platform, right. and, you know, it's going to be so much better than what you're doing, and that's okay. I, I, even, I even went in like that, saying, look, I know that you're going to show me something that blows this away. I, I'm asking you for a favor. Just help me understand how to improve it for my own business. And and I walked out of the, those meetings realizing that they actually didn't have what I had built for my own e-commerce site, which blew wow. me away. It shocked me, actually. Um, and I feel really lucky for that. You know, maybe it was the intuition of growing up and being in my parents' store. Maybe it was studying Sam Walton. Maybe it was my programming skills. But there was a lot of combination of things that came into play. And so that led to my biggest um, business at that time, Core Metrics. That became a large global company. We had a lot of knocks along the way, though. We we lost almost all of our clients in the dot com bust. Almost went out of wow. business, but eventually became a company that um, was bought for around three hundred million by IBM. And Core Metrics then directly led into Bizarre Voice, which was the is the world's leader, I should say, for um, customer reviews delivered as a service yeah. that we call social commerce. Um, and that you were company, there for over seven years. Yeah. yeah, that company just hit the market timing perfectly. Um, me and my co-founder brainstormed, and we thought the market time was good. We did lots of research to assess that. But we wouldn't have predicted that Facebook would have come from you know, being private in a few colleges to being the force it was, and that Snapchat would come along and Twitter would come along yeah. and all these forces of social media would come along. When we started Core Metrics, only three retailers in the whole U.S. had customer reviews. That wow. was back in 2005. That's how much things have changed. And so that became a, a big global company. Um, we went from inception to IPO in six years, wow. from zero to over 100 million in sales in six years. Wow. We only leveraged 23 million of capital, and we had 12.7 million in the bank when we went public. It was very capital efficient. Had a wow. billion dollar IPO. It was a phenomenal success. Very analytical too, because you really knew exactly what customers were 
um, wanting by looking at the reviews. Like four-star reviews were some of the best reviews because you could see exactly what you need to do to make the product a five-star. Like Elohim right. would look at those and people would say, well, I would have given this sweater a five-star if you only made it in green or right. orange or right. whatever. And um, then we had regular client summits where people like L.L. Bean would stand up there in front of all of our customers and say, it's completely baked into the way we do our product design and everything else. And it was really cool. We produced a, a series of um, reports called the Conversation Index, which you can still get online. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's a public company today on NASDAQ, ticker symbols BV. And then after that, I took three years to... Um, basically slow down a bit. Um, I had been doing one start after another. I wanted to see what it was like to just kind of feel a bit retired, like I had made enough money where I never needed to work again. And I thought, okay, well, I'll travel around the world. I'll kind of see what that lifestyle's like. Um, I'll be at every field trip for our kids. Yeah. I'll be on call for my wife. I was kind of like an Instacart driver. Like anytime she needed <laughs> me to go to the grocery store, I, I went. Um, and, you know, it was kind of bliss for her in that way. Um, but uh, there were a couple of things that got under my skin that got me back in the arena. Um, one, and I, and by the way, during that three year period, I invest in a lot of startups. Like I'm now sure. an investor in like 53 startups oh, and 12 wow, okay. VC funds. Um, and I still do that. But, uh, but one of the things that, that got under my skin was our daughter started to ask me, dad, when are you going to start another business? And one day she pointed at me, dad, when are you going to start another <laughs> wow. business? Wow. And I felt like, wow. Hold on, I'm at every field trip. I'm like super dad. Yeah. It's just like the secret gives? to life. Yeah. <laughs> and what I realized is that, um, you know, one day, if, if, if uh, whoever's listening to this or who, you know, or whoever, maybe they've already become that, but one day, if, if you become wealthy enough where you don't need to work anymore, you'll have this existential crisis, which is like, well, what was it all about in yeah. the first place? And, and uh, and everybody that's been through that feels that way that I've talked with. And what you realize at the end of the day is that you actually have the secret of life figured out already with what you were doing most of the time. Um, and in my case, I always wanted to change the world for the better through technology. And that was who I was. And my best impression on our daughter was her seeing me in the arena. She was six months old when I started Bizarre Voice, and she would come wow. to our client summits and come to our all-hands meetings, and that, that had more meaning to her than me being, you know, kind of a bystander at a field trip, and, um, and really inspired her. And so that, that got under my skin. Another thing that got under my skin is at the Aspen Institute, they have a fellowship called the Henry Crown Fellowship, and it's a real honor if you get into that program. Um, I'm actually having dinner tonight with Clement Pappas, who's another oh, cool. Henry Crown Fellow and Warden grad, yeah. um, who I got to know through the program. Really great guy. And, uh, and that, that program uh, makes you really think about your utility in the world. A lot of famous people have gone through it before, like Reed Hoffman and Reed Hastings. And, and you, you, you really, it really hits you hard. You study a lot of the great philosophers, a lot of the great um, business leaders of the past, political leaders of the past, and really makes you think about your utility in the world. And that led to me making the decision to jump in and start my sixth business, Data.World. And, and I reached out to two of my would-be co-founders and asked them if they'd like to brainstorm with me. And we pretty quickly got another co-founder involved as well, who actually the seed of Data.World was his idea. And um, 
and you know the the rest is history. We raised over thirty three million to date. Um, we uh, just got named in the top ten percent of all B corps in the world. Um, we've grown faster than GitHub grew in its first years. That's kind of our best comp. Like as yeah. GitHub is is to code, we because are to data. data. Yep. And um, and I feel really blessed to be on this journey as a B corp. You know, doing it doing it differently. Um, Culturally, it's phenomenal. Bizarre Voice was phenomenal culturally as well, um, and you know we're just we're off to a great start. And what we're doing is really hard and really needed by the world. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. So folks who haven't heard of Data.World, tell us what it's all about. What's your vision for it, and what does it become? Sure. So our our vision is super ambitious. Um, we want to become the most meaningful, the most abundant, and the most collaborative data resource in the world. Um, now, how do you do that? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I kind of joke with friends sometimes, like, yeah, I'll be done in six months, and then we can have a beer and talk about <laughs> how it went. You know, it's a long term. This is like a mission statement right. that will be true 100 years from now. Um, but uh, the way you do that is you, you, get, you get the public involved. You get them engaged. You, get, you motivate people to join up and become a part of the community, not, not unlike what GitHub did. Um, you know, GitHub, I think, has made the world a much better place. Like, the world is much more open because of GitHub. There's so many open source projects. Like, yeah. you can see an exponential growth in open source projects since the advent of GitHub, and it's because they democratize access to Git, yeah. which was very esoteric at the time and not accessible to all programmers. It, it certainly it was available for free and, you know, open source, and they could use it. Technically accessible. Yeah, technically not. accessible, but... But there's a lot of things like in, in, in life that changed because of one big interface. Like look at you know HTML before uh, before Netscape came along. Right. Um, look at uh, FTP before like Dropbox and Box came along. Look at you know Git before GitHub came along. It really you know democratized access to something very important. So what we're democratizing access to is a database technology and kind of a way of, of, of structuring things called the semantic web. Tim Berners-Lee has been on this mission trying to educate the world on why the semantic web matters. Um, one of the most brilliant talks you can see is go search for his 2009 TED Talk. If you just search for Tim Berners-Lee, TED, linked data, you can see what it's all about. And he's basically trying to make the case that if the world links their data like they link their documents, it's going to create this unbelievable explosion in creativity and problem-solving ability. And believe it or not, when he invented HTML and he gave it away for free at CERN um, while he was there, it was really hard for him to convince people to adopt HTML. Wow. Because they were like, look, my document's already on this FTP server. Like Anybody with the URL can get it, right. or the URI in that case. Um, it can just go directly to to that to that URI and get it. Um, anybody that uh, you know can wants it could get it at Gopher or all these other places. There are all these little pockets of places on the internet, but there was no great unifier. And HTML was a great unifier, and it was very hard for him to convince people. But he was do, do a lot of hand waving and say like, if you did, there would be this amazing explosion and people linking their documents together. Well, we know what's happened with that. Believe it or not, in the world of data, that hasn't happened yet. Why? It hasn't happened because the technology stack for a semantic web is too esoteric. Mm. 
It needs to be democratized where everybody can use it, even the layperson. And, um, and that's what we set out to do. If you, if you join data.world today, you'll see that it's a little bit more technically geared um, towards more technical data users. That's by design because we're building the community um, in a way where we want the most technically astute on first, yep. where they'll be good stewards of the community at scale. Um, and you'll see us come out with more and more functionality, which makes it easier and easier to link data. Everything we do is built on top of the semantic web. Very hard to do. The semantic web is something that's primarily used by, in terms of an expert way, by Facebook, by Google, um, by the NSA, by Palantir, by Goldman Sachs. Very few have have really used it in a in a sophisticated way. And that's just wrong, you know. We've we've got we've got this technology that needs to be democratized. I've been working with databases since the beginning of, of my um, paid career, <laughs> and um, and it just strikes me as something that needs to change and needs to change fast. Like, what about the world's climate change data? What about the world's cancer data? What about poverty alleviation data? What about all of this data that's so important to link together to make sense of it? Um, democratize access to it and allow us to solve those problems together. Um, it's only happened in terms of linking data in a really in a really robust way in online advertising. And you know, fine, we all need to buy stuff. It supports right. <laughs> it supports a large part of the internet. You yeah. know, um, of course, Google and Facebook are primarily ad based models in terms of revenue. Um, and so, you know, it supports a huge part of the internet. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot other of other problems in the world that need to be solved, and and uh, most people are just kind of burying data in silos and 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 not collaborating. And we want to solve that. Wow! And you guys have had some success in raising money, as you mentioned. I think your second yeah, raised round, a little bit over thirty-three million. Yeah, which was uh, almost double the predict the, the the prior valuation. Is that right? Your second That's right. Round? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, what are the kind of the next steps? You're getting the this the more technical users on board now to create the community and hopefully kind of keep that um, as you would want to have it, right? Right. But what's your next steps in terms of building out and making it a truly democratized platform? Yeah. Yeah, so you'll see you'll see a lot more linked data features come out. We just launched some last week. Um, you'll see a lot more features come out for data quality checking as well. Like we launched Data Inspector about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, the technical pace here is very very fast. We have some of the best engineers in the world. Um, that's part of the advantage of being older. You know, I'm 45 now, and my co-founders are. Um, in their 40s and really well known in Austin as well, and so we just we just cherry pick you know the best people you've ever worked with, and every week we come out with a ton of functionality um, that that gets announced in various ways in the platform or on our engineering blog at meta.data.world. Um, but uh, you'll see you'll see us continue to evolve on the linked data front. You'll see us to continue to evolve on the collaboration front. We're launching a lot of data collaboration features as we learn more and more about how people do data projects. Lots of lots of user testing. Um, you'll see us pushed to uh, launch out of preview release soon. So we're in preview awesome. release right now. Um, so we'll launch in for full commercial mode soon. But the beautiful thing about data.world is like GitHub, the majority of people that use it will always use it for free. Lots of universities are using it now to yep. run classrooms and, and the like. Um, we're starting to get mentioned pretty regularly in Wikipedia. 
um, on different university and government sites, um, on different media sites. Fortune 500 recently launched their their Fortune 500 diversity list, and yep. they launched on Data.World. Um, so we'll we'll continue to drive those types of efforts, but you'll see a lot of focus on data collaboration. Yeah, um, as that's a that's a big problem, not just for um, you know the broader world, but it's a big problem inside of companies. Like inside of companies, data is largely buried and in silos too, and that needs to change as well. So more and more companies then are going to kind of make a switch over. How do you see that looking for those companies? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm company A. What what services yeah. would I start? How would I start? How would I start with that data.world? Well, it's, e it's easiest to talk about kind of use cases. So one of, one of the um, people that use us is the Associated Press. And so the Associated Press um, had a use case where they have, they're about a half a billion in revenue. They have clients all over, um, you know, people like Chicago Tribune. And they, they were looking to build a system themselves before we came along where they would be able to easily distribute data to their clients mm -hmm. um, so that they could write very data-driven articles. If you look at the last five years of Pulitzer Prize winning journalism, uh, it's mostly very data-driven articles. And so they were, they were looking for, um, to build a solution themselves. And we came into the picture and, it, you know, we're very inexpensive. Um, you know, GitHub's very inexpensive. Slack's very inexpensive. These yep. are not expensive things. And um, we had the solution for them. So they, they could upload data sets in private that any of their member companies could get access to. So one of the first data sets they uploaded was housing inventory in the U.S. is near a 40-year low. And people like the Chicago Tribune could come in, just type in Chicago in the query, and see exactly what that meant for the Chicago market, um, and then compare it to the broader U.S. market, and download the data and create interactive tools if they wanted. Like some newspapers actually create interactive tools where they download the data for their um, state or their city, yeah. and then you could just type in your zip code and say, well, I read the article, now what does this mean for me? Um, so there's, there's lots of use cases like that where data needs to be distributed along, among many teams inside of a company, among different geographies, mm -hmm. um, among many different partners. And we're really cracking the code on, on those. And we're actually hiring our first salespeople right now because um, we're starting to get a lot of inbounds in the platform for people wanting to use it in a commercial capacity and asking how they buy it. Um, those are yeah. good signs. Yeah, um, that's, that's, and that's definitely good signs. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're right on track with where we thought we needed to be. We, we, we thought we'd build to a point where there's enough functionality and enough community where those signals start to occur. And then we'd start to hire salespeople and push it out. But, but again, the majority of data.world will always be available for free. That's awesome. Super excited. I'm so glad that we got to talk today. Um, so thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I always love, love, love being back here. I, I have so much to thank Warden for and the professors and the students that were here and all the entrepreneurs that came before to, to, speak, to speak with me and inspire me. That's awesome. So thank you to our audience for joining us today. Please join us again on the Wharton Customer Analyticast.